2, 1 through 13. So say to your brothers, you are my people, and to your sisters, you have received mercy. Plead with your mother, plead for she is not my wife, and I am not her husband. That she puts away her whoring from her face and her adultery from her between her breasts. Lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. Upon her children also I will have no mercy because they are children of whoredom. For their mother has played the whore. She, has, she who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who will give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore I will hedge up her way with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She shall pursue her lovers, but not overtake them, and she shall seek them, but she shall not find them. Then she shall say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, and the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold which they use for ball. Therefore, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which are to cover her nakedness. Now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. I will put an end to all her mirth, her feasts, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. And I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, These are my wages which my lovers have given me. I will make them a forest, and then the breasts of the field she shall devour them. And I will punish her for all the feasts of the, of the balls, when she burned offerings to them, and adorned herself with her ring and jewelry, and went after her lovers, and forgot me, declares the Lord. Word of the Lord. Yeah, I don't think John got a chance to look at that passage before I asked him whether he'd like to read or not this week. <clears throat> yeah. Tough passage to read. You know, last week we uh, began the series in Hosea 1, and... Uh, Seems like a good place to begin, right, Hosea 1, if we're going to study 2, 3, and the rest of the book. So we started in Hosea 1 last week. Um, and if you didn't get a chance to listen to it, um, you may want to go back and listen to it. Uh, it's online. It's posted. Uh, because you're going to kind of be a little bit lost a little bit as regards to the history of the book and the introduction to the book. Because we, we dived into that uh, significantly last week, and we're not going to dive as deeply into it this week. And so you're going to want to go back, listen to that, get that little bit of history, the background to Hosea. But we know Hosea is this prophet sent by God. And Hosea is a, it's a different kind of prophet. Normally, God would tell a prophet what to go say and to go to speak to a king or to go speak to a people group. But quite literally, God says, this Hosea, you're going to have a living prophecy. It's not just a word that you're going to speak. I'm going to command you to do something, and it's going to symbolize my relationship with God's people. And so last week we read that God informed Hosea, you're going to go and you're going to take an a unfaithful wife, an unfaithful woman, quite literally the text says a woman of whoredom, strong language. We're, we're hearing some really strong language. I'm not seeing so many kids in here this morning, but you may have to go home and explain some words to your kids and that's okay. All right. But, you know, it's really, really strong language being used by God here to Hosea. And so Hosea is faithful to God. He's obedient to God. He goes, takes an unfaithful wife. And we're fairly confident that one of those children is the actual outcome of their marriage, but the other two we're not so sure of. And we know that at the conclusion of this, of chapter 1, that it seems that Gomer has run off and has left Hosea with the kids and she's gone off and she's with someone else. 
And God starts into Hosea chapter 2. And God starts into Hosea chapter 2 with this wonderful opening statement. He says, Say to your brothers, you are my people. And to your sisters, you have received mercy. And after last week where we left off, this feels really good. Because last week we left off with God saying, you, Hosea, you know, you're to name your children not my people. You're to name my children Jezreel, which, which has got this meaning of God will scatter his people. And he's going to name his children no mercy. And now all of a sudden to read here, God opens this with a, a compassionate word, a soft word saying, Say to your brothers and sisters, say to those, Hosea, who are faithfully serving God, say to those brothers and sisters that are desiring to walk with God, you are my children. I have not abandoned you and not forsaken you. But for the sake of the nation of Israel, God has to render some indictments against the nation of Israel for their disobedience. And last week, we, we briefly talked about the history of Israel, that the, the foundation upon the indictments that God is going to leverage against them is their idolatry. They made idols, and they created a place to worship their idols, and they said, we no longer need the true God. We no longer need to go to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices in the temple. We no longer need to be obedient to the Mosaic law that God had given his people they said, you know what, we're going to create our own God in our own place that's convenient for us that will make sure that the northern kingdom of Israel never has anything to do with Judah or Benjamin in the southern kingdom. And king after king after king after king after king in the northern kingdom, it is said that they did evil and they were wicked in the sight of God. Not a single good king. There's so much bloodshed. There's so much wickedness. Parents sacrificing their children to worship these false gods. These Baals, the, the northern kingdom continues to look at other nations and say, well, it's kind of like today. They look over to another kingdom and say, look, that kingdom's having some success. Their God must be working for them. Let's adopt their God. Oh, look, there's, there's a kingdom over here, and that, that kingdom having success, let's adopt their God. Or look, there's this people group over here. They got a really weird God, but hey, they had a good crop last year, so let's adopt their God. And they began chasing after all these gods in light of whatever success was bringing them. But the one true God says, I have the greatest abundance, mercy, hope for you that you could ever have. But they reject God. To pursue these other things which they see visibly being present in the other kingdoms and they worship them. And so God screams, enough. Enough. And we read, we're going to read these indictments today. And we can read them through, through a lens of like, man, God is just really ticked off at the Israelite people. And yes, yes he is. He is ticked off at them for their sin and their disobedience. For he has shown them, look back at the history of Israel, the exodus, he has shown them the manna from heaven, the water from a rock, the, the nations that they conquered again and again and again. God has shown him the, his power and his might and they have rejected him. He has every right to be angry with them. But God's anger, and I really want us to understand this, God's anger and his wrath and judgment is upon his people is always for the purpose of their restoration and their redemption. And that makes a huge difference. So when we read these indictments, it's so that we know God is saying, you have sinned, I'm going to do this because of your sin with the result of you coming back and being my people again. You coming back so that I can show mercy to you once again. You coming back so that instead of the thing that was just scattered, I can now sow and it can grow. So we read here in Hosea chapter 2, he, he says, plead with your mother. And this idea of mother here is representative of the nation of Israel, the people of Israel. Plead for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. 
that she put away her whoring from her face and her adultery from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and make her as in the day she was born and make her like a wilderness and make her like a parched land and kill her with thirst. What is being talked about here? God, so the Israelite people were literally dressing themselves up, adorning themselves to go worship this false God that can't even see them. I can't help but think of another story. It's the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And if you haven't read that, I believe it's the first Kings. You can go back and read that. It's a fantastic story. Okay? You got the prophets of Baal. And so Elijah issues a challenge to these prophets of Baal. And Baal's this false god that the northern kingdom was worshiping. And Elijah says, well, if your god is so great and so big, let, let's, let's do a little test. And so he had them build this altar. And so they built this altar up, and, and they had them lay their sacrifice upon this altar. And then the, the prophets of Baal were supposed to, to, to chant and supposed to sing their praises, their songs to their, their false god. And they're supposed to go around this thing and do this, and, and their god was supposed to ignite this sacrifice. And so Elijah they start at it, and they're at it for a long time, and Elijah starts to poke fun. And there's humor in Scripture, folks. You, you can't miss this. Elijah's like, hey, you know what? Maybe you get a little louder because maybe your God is falling asleep, and you need to wake him up. Or, or this is really funny. Maybe he's using the bathroom, okay? Literally, maybe he's gone and he's used the bathroom, and so you not get his attention and bring him back. And Elijah's just like poking fun, and these people are cutting themselves. They're bleeding out on the ground around this altar, and nothing's happening. Why? Because it's a dead God. It's nothing but a stick of wood, a piece of stone. It has no power, no authority, no might. And Elijah, what's he do? He gets down on his knees after soaking the altar so much that the water is running down and he has this basin around the bottom of the altar and it fills with water and it's soaked and Elijah hits his knees before his God and he says, let them know that you are the one true God and God just incinerates the whole thing. Why is God so mad? These people are adorning themselves, putting on fancy jewelry, fancy clothes, going into these temples and, and performing sexual acts in these temples with temple prostitutes to worship these false gods. And he has a right to be angry. And so what he says is, I'm going to do is, I'm going to remove you from the ability to worship these gods. I'm going to give you a wilderness experience. I'm going to have the Assyrian army come in and remove you from the land and take you to this wilderness where there are no temples to worship these gods. There are no places for you to get down and get fancied up in your clothes. In fact, I'm going to strip you of those fancy clothes. All that jewelry you're so proud of that you've used to worship these other gods with, I'm going to take that from you. I'm going to strip you bare. Because it ends in your bareness and in your nakedness, you will return to The next thing he says here, starting in verse 4, chapter 2, Upon her children also I will have no mercy, because there are children of whoredom. Who is he speaking of here? He's speaking of this generation that Hosea is prophesying to. This generation is a wicked generation. And they are going to die in their wickedness. But when you return, I will return a group of people, a nation that will want to worship me, and be my children once again. For their mother has played the whore. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me bread and water and my wool and my flax and my oil and my drink. Notice here what the Israelite people are being charged with. They are crediting their food, their success, their crops, their women, their children, all the possessions that they have. They're giving credit for all of these things to Baal. 
Thank you, Baal, for making years so great. Thank you, Baal, so much for all my success in life. Thank you, Baal, for my wonderful, beautiful wife. Thank you, Baal, for all my wonderful and amazing children. They're crediting this false God with all the good things God has given to them. They're not recognizing God as the provider of all, at all. They have forgotten God is the one that gives bread. God is the one that gives water. God is the one that gives sustainment and nourishment. God was the one that created everything. And they're rejecting this and, and running after these false gods and giving them credit. Therefore, I will hedge up, God says, her way with thorns, and I will build a great wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. I'm going to remove her to this place, and this great hedge will be this foreign army that will keep them there, and they will not be able to return back down the paths that they once walked because of this foreign army. And she will pursue her lovers, but cannot overtake them. And she will seek them, but she will not, cannot find them. And then she will say, I will go and return to my first husband, for it was better for me than now. And she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the oil, the wine, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. God is going to strip Israel. So that she'll recognize where true goodness comes from, from the hand of God. Does this remind you of another story of the Bible in the New Testament? Anybody? Maybe? Where someone else said something similar, for it was better for me then than now? Prodigal son? He's at the pig trough. Noticing that the pigs were eating better than him. And how does that story end? That story ends with a father who sees his son at a distance. And he runs to embrace his son who has returned. God wants Israel to leave behind their wicked, idolatrous ways and pursue him once again. And God is waiting with wonderful open arms to embrace them as they return to worship him. And I'll prove that in just a minute, but we're not quite there yet. So God is going to issue a judgment against the nation of Israel. Therefore, he says, I will take back my grain in its time and my wine in its season, and I will take away my wool and my flax, which were to cover their nakedness. God is going to take these things from them. Since they don't worship him for them, he will remove them from them. That's the result. When we don't praise God, you know, one of, you know, we'll give some examples here in a minute, but I, you know, we had a great time in sermon chat this week kind of coming up with some examples of, of how we do this. I mean, do, do our kids, if we were to ask our kids, where does the food come from? Well, mom and dad work real hard or from Safeway or from the bank account because mom and dad draw out some money and go pay for the groceries, right? If that is their response then I would argue, then are they truly giving credit to where credit is due? Because all good things come from God. I, I love it when I'm hearing stories of our kids in here. Like, I got a good grade or I passed my hunter safety course and it was God who enabled me to do that. Amen. If our children start from a young age recognizing all good things come from God, they're setting their lives up for a life of praise and worship of God. Amen. And that's exciting. So don't dismiss that. When we hear that on a Sunday morning, that's precious. That child is growing up saying, God is good. Amen. Was it easy to pass the hunter safety course? I'm sure if Casey was here, he'd say, no, I was terrified. It was hard. But that's one of the great things that we learn about following our God is that it's not easy, but it's good. Verse 10, he goes on, And now I will uncover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers, and no one shall rescue her out of my hand. 
I will put an end to all her mirth and her feasts and her new moons and her Sabbaths and all her appointed feasts. This is what's crazy. God gave the nation of Israel these wonderful feasts to celebrate him with. The Feast of Booze, Passover feast. All these wonderful things to praise him with. And what did the Israelites do? They took these things and began to twist them and manipulate them to now hold feasts and celebrations to worship these false gods. I will lay waste her vines and her fig trees, of which she said, these, oh, don't miss this, brothers and sisters, these are my wages, which my lovers have given to me. I have my car because I worked hard for it, and I got my promotion. My lovers, my job, my boss, my praise is to myself because of my hard labors. No, you have what you have because God has been gracious to you and giving it to you. And if we don't praise him, we are wrong in our thinking to say he won't take it from us. And I will punish her for the feast days of the balls when she burned offerings to them. Oops, I missed here. And these are my wages and the lovers have given to me and I will make them a forest and the beasts of the field shall devour them. And I will punish her for the feast days of the balls when she burned offerings to them and adorned herself with ring and jewelry and went after her lovers and forgot me, declares the Lord. That's a strong language. Would you agree? And you're like, and I continue to wrestle with this question in my mind, would God do this to the church? And I can't help but say, yeah, absolutely. If you read Hebrews chapter 12, you find in Hebrews chapter 12, one of the hardest chapters in the New Testament for Christians because it says the Lord disciplines those he loves. And it's never good while you're going through it. You see, the most important thing in this lifetime is obedient, worshipful hearts to God. That's the most important thing. Not raising good kids, not having nice homes, not having great jobs, not having large retirement funds. Because like, again, like the Notre Dame Cathedral taught us, it's going to burn. The only thing that's going to be left is what we did in light of eternity. Brothers and sisters, we were made for the sole purpose of glorifying and worshiping God. And I'm reading through the Gospel of John right now, and I'm just blown away. Maybe I just haven't seen this like I have in the past, but over and over and over again, how do God know that we love him? We obey him. We obey him. And it's all over the place. We obey him. How did Jesus perfectly do the will of the Father? He obeyed everything the Father commissioned him to do. Obedience, 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 obedience. And it's not obedience out of legalism. It's obedience out of relationship that we have with God. God saved us from our sins. And so we should have this heart and this desire to follow him. Just like the Israelites were saved from the land of Egypt. Were taken from slavery. And that's why God keeps referencing that event. Like, look what I did for you. I brought you out of the land of Egypt. Remember that? I am yours and you are mine. And so obedience should not be something that is begrudgingly given, but with a heart full of warmth and joy going, yes, God, I'll obey you because you have been the faithful bride. You, you're, you've been the faithful groom that has brought your people to yourself, and you've been nothing but faithful. So I have this heart and this desire to be fully obedient to you. But like the great hymn says, prone to wander. Lord, I feel prone to leave the God I love. That's us. We're still battling our flesh. We're still battling the wicked ways of the evil. And we're still battling a world that wants to keep us entrenched in darkness. And so we wander. We leave that trail. We leave that path that God has for us, that path of obedience in him. But the beautiful thing is we have got a God that loves us so much. He says, I will judge you. I will. 
but with the purpose of bringing you back into my arms so that we can read this. And I hope you get this. Go home and read this. Underline this in your Bible. This is the one of the most beautiful verses. In Hosea chapter 2, verse 14, he says, Therefore, behold, I will allure her. That strong language, that strong sexual language that's been used, continues to be used by God. This is that like, hey, baby, you know, I want you to come back. I love you. You're precious. You're beautiful. You're, you're, come. And that's what God wants. God wants to draw us back. And he goes on to say, and I will bring her into the wilderness. He's going to take her into this desolate place. And I will speak tenderly to her. We're expecting him to go into the wilderness with her and say, you stupid idiot. Like, duh. No, but it's just like Peter walking on the water. Peter begins to fall down when he takes his eyes off Jesus. He begins to sink. And Jesus is immediately there and draws him back up. And he says, hey, Peter, you lack faith. You lack faith. You're struggling with faith. But he doesn't. You stupid idiot, Peter, you, you knucklehead, why did you even get out of the boat? No. And speak tenderly to her, and I will give her vineyards. Vineyards, vines, wine, and scripture carries with it this beautiful connotation of joy. God is going to return Israel's joy to her. And make the Valley of Achor. This is a really cool thing here. You're getting a ton of history today, and I can't help but dive in the Old Testament with doing this. So when the Israelite people were coming into the land to take over the land, and they just had this wonderful victory over Jericho. Remember the song, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho? Come on now. <laughs> So went into the defeat of Jericho, and they're like, great. They're heading into another fight, expecting victory. They're rolling. But all of a sudden, instead of victory, what happens? Defeat. Why? Well, there's this guy named Achan. And God had told the, Israel, the Israelite people, do not take any treasure. For, or, don't, when you ransack Jericho, don't pick up any treasure. Don't put it in your sack. Don't put it in your tent. And Achan said, well, God... You're good and all, but you're not good enough to provide for me, so I'm going to provide for myself. Here's the college fund for my kids. I got it covered. No, I need no help from you. And so guess what? Because they, one man disobeyed, one man, don't miss that, one man disobeyed, the whole nation suffered, people died. Grandchildren lost grandparents. Mothers lost husbands because of disobedience. Where did this take place? The Valley of Achor. So God says to Joshua, you've got to find out the guilty party. God leads him to the guilty party. The whole family, husband, wife, children, killed for their disobedience against God. God is going to redeem even the valley of Achor and that. He's going to redeem the valley of Achor as he brings his people back through this valley after they have submitted to him. They begin to worship him once again. And instead of this being a valley that just is remembered for this time of sin, now it will be remembered for this time of hope as God brings his people home. He says, and make the valley of Achor a door of hope and there she shall answer as in the days of her youth, as it was in the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. Remember what they were doing when they came out of the land of Egypt? They were singing songs, praising, dancing to the God who delivers, the God who saves, the God who redeems. Hosea 2.16, he goes on to say, In that day declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. Oh, man. And no longer will you call me Baal. You'll be done with that. You'll be done with that. 
For I will remove the names of Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by my name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day, and the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety, and I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice and in steadfast love and in mercy. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And in that day I will answer, declares the Lord, and I will answer the heavens and they shall answer the earth. And the earth shall answer the grain, the wine and the oil. And they shall answer Jezreel, God sows. Which is interesting when he uses Jezreel in the first chapter, as Jezreel has this agricultural meaning to it. It means both scatter and sow in the same word. It depends upon how the context is being used. In chapter 1, God scatters. God's going to scatter the nation of Israel. But guess what he's going to do? He's going to use that term to talk about sowing them and replanting them in him. And I will sow her for himself, myself in the land, and I will have mercy on no mercy. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he, he shall say, you are my God. You see, this is the difference between the judgment of the world and the judgment of God. The judgment of God leads to the restoration of his people. The judgment of God leads to us confessing and repenting and drawing near to him once again. The judgment of God brings hope. And I know oftentimes when we read through the prophets of the Old Testament, you're like, man, this is hard. But for the people of God, we get to rejoice because it is for our good. For those who are in Christ Jesus, it is for our good and his glory. Period. And then Hosea 3.1, and the Lord said to me, go again, oh man, poor Hosea, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress. And even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, so I brought her, bought her for 15 shekels of silver and an omer and a lethic of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. Now what's going on here? I don't believe Hosea is going out and finding another, another as indifferent than Gomer, unfaithful woman to marry. That seems to run contrary to what God is doing with this illustration. No, he's going back to Gomer and he's going to pray the pay the bride pie price once again. In order to bring her home as his bride once again. He's going to bring her home. And then he's going to tell her, you must be mine as for many days, and you shall not play the whore or bring, belong to another man, so I also, will I also be to you. This, imagine, if you will, God again says, Israel, you're my people. I'm going to carry you off and put you in the wilderness in a place where you can't act the whore, where you can't act like chasing after other gods, where you can't. I'm going to make this impossible for you in this place. And for this time, you're going to have a purifying time. Like here it is that Gomer is going to have this purifying time and that they will be brought back together in relationship again. For the children of Israel will dwell many days without a king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. And afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord. Your text may read awe there. So come in in awe of the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. What's going on here? We've got what we call a double fulfillment of this scripture going on. God will bring Israel back from Assyria. Okay? But we see elements here like, yeah, but... They didn't perfectly obey them. He didn't perfectly stay with them. There's elements in here that we see that weren't fulfilled in the history as we know it. You're right. Because there's going to be the true prophet, Jesus Christ, that comes. 
And he is going to restore his people to himself. I do believe in a day and age in which God will grab hold of the Israelite people once again and draw him unto himself, and they shall become part of the bride of Christ as we are the bride of Christ, and together worship and glorify God for all eternity. That hasn't happened yet. So we see a partial fulfillment and that the people were brought home, but we look forward to the day in which the bride of Christ will be fully redeemed and we get to live with God forever. And those are exciting days for us to look forward to. And that is possible because of the true prophet in Jesus Christ. So we began to ask some questions this week in our sermon chat regarding some examples of where are we crediting our provisions or blessings in regards to a false God. We talk about our, our investments. I am a savvy investor. Not me, okay? Just using this as an example, okay? <laughs> My wife, yeah, she's laughing if you didn't hear that up here, Right? And it's the, it's the compound interest. It's, it's my wise thinking and it's my wise abilities. And, the, and, and Wall Street is doing so well. Trump is helping out. And I'm not, there we go. Be careful. Trump is helping out the economy. And that's why things are going so well. Are you kidding me? Presidents come and go. Markets come and go. Who's in charge of the financial structure of this world? So you mean to tell me that if your bank account or if your portfolio drops to the floor today, you're worshiping God today, but you won't worship him tomorrow? My skills as a home builder makes me so good, and people just, my reputation is so good, I, I got great integrity, got, you know, and people going, or my skills as a mechanic, people trust me, you know, and we start talking about my skills, my skills, my skills. Well, as if we can acknowledge our skills as long as we're sitting there saying, God gave me my skills, and I want to glorify God with my skills and my integrity. But the minute we start saying my success comes from my skills, who are we worshiping? Who are we crediting? My knowledge of medicine is so vast, so good. Patient walks in, I can diagnose them, I got it taken care of. My EMT skills, I just saved somebody's life. Just the other day. Who saved whose life? You see how easily with our language we can just slide into that role of deity. I deserve this. Clarissa was talking about our teens. I want our teens to pipe up on this one. This is a little bit different. I deserve the things that I've got. I deserve the phones. I deserve the computers. I deserve the social media. I deserve going out. I deserve, I deserve, I deserve. And all of a sudden this, I deserve becomes my God. I don't have these things because God has seen fit to give them to me. I have them because it's my right. We're Americans after all. Where are we stealing God's praise? What is the motive of our hearts? When we come in here on a Sunday morning, what is the motive of our hearts? Why have we come? Have we come because I need to be fed? That's a slippery one, isn't it? Hopefully we come in and we're needing to hear from God. We're needing God to speak to us. We need to be fellowshipping with the saints. We need, we need that, but ultimately we come together to gather to glorify and to worship God. To celebrate Him, to praise His name. Every time we leave here, the number one thought should be on our mind, was God praised? Was God glorified? Was God pleased by what took place? That should be the number one thought on our minds. Because it's all about Him. It's about His glory, His praise. You know, Dean does a great, did a great job. We don't need Dean. We love him, right? I need Dean as a brother in Christ, right? Because he's part of my family, and I need that. But, you know, we, we, got, we think we need all these things, and we don't. 
you know, it is the, I, John pointed this out when we were going through this. God is going through saying, I'm, I'm going to, I will, I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. But the problem we start seeing, stealing God's praises, we start saying, I will. Instead of God will. Comparing ourselves to other people. Do I go down that road? Probably not. It's going to be way too convicting. But let me tell you what, when we start comparing ourselves to other people and saying, why don't I have their looks? Why don't I have their talents? Why don't I have their possessions? We steal praise from God. Because we're no longer glorifying him for what he's given to us. We're basically saying, God, you made a mistake. When we credit others for what we have been given, when we put God in a box, and we do not see his glory revealed, we steal his praises by not tithing, we steal his praises by not giving of our time. We steal his praises by not using our gifts. And most definitely, we steal God's praises by not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. What is God calling us to stop chasing after? God is calling us, I believe, this year to elevate our adoration of him. That, we're not going, that we don't want to be like the people of Israel. That we recognize that all good things come from God and he provides us with what we need and he sustains us and he takes care of us. And even when it's hard, we get to praise him, we get to glorify him because what he's leading us through is this time of, of hardship or suffering or discipline. Because there is times when God is judging us. And, and I want to stop here for a second. And I know I'm going kind of long, but this is so important. And I've talked about it before, but I think we got to address this. Why do we struggle so much that when God judges us and the Holy Spirit convicts us, why, why do we say, no, I won't repent? We, we justify our sin. We sit there and say, no, I really don't. I, you know, God, it's not that bad. God, I need that. I need that hurt in my life because if I give up that hurt, I'm going to forgive that person. And if I forgive that person, God, then Katie, bar the door, my life's going to be over. Brothers and sisters, God stands. Look at that beautiful picture. He stands so ready to say to them, here it says, and I want to speak. God wants to allure you this morning. He wants to speak tenderly to you. He wants to bring you to a place of repentance. He wants to redeem those valleys in your life that have been up to this point, valleys of sin and destruction. God says, let me bring you back through that sucker. And when we come back through it this time, I'll heal your wounds and you can praise me as you're walking through it. See, this is what God wants to do with us. This is what God's doing for the Israelite people. And he wants to do it for his church, his bride. But we just got to repent and confess. We got to say, God, I'm done. Because I know for a fact, I can tell you the story of my life this morning. And if you got the full glimpse of it, you probably run out of here saying he should not be a pastor. But I was exhausted for a really, really long time because I refused to repent. And I fought God and I fought God and I fought God and I hurt other relationships in my life because I refused to repent because it wasn't that bad. And it was. And I thought my little pocket of sin over here in my heart wasn't hurting other people, wasn't impacting other people, and it was. Brothers and sisters, there's so much freedom. And I'm reminded of a great illustration here, and you're going to think I'm weird, but Crocodile Dundee. How many of y'all have seen Crocodile Dundee, right? Crocodile Dundee, when he takes her down there and introduces, you know, Wally, like, she, she has something about her and her boyfriend are seeing the therapist. Remember that? And he goes, therapist? Well, we just tell old Wally. And Wally tells everybody. And, and there's no more need for a therapist. <laughs> if we'd stop hiding our sin and confess it before God and lay it open and go to our brothers and sisters in Christ and confess our sin and say, I have sin and I'm, I'm broken over it. Let me tell you what. I wonder how much healing would take place within the, God, within the household of God and how much therapy we wouldn't need because we're now confessing our sins and repenting of it and turning to God. Because God wants us to be surrendered to him. 
wholly, completely surrendered to him. That's all he wants for the Israelites, surrender. Stop worshiping other gods, worship me and worship me alone. And I got this land filled with milk and honey. I'll make it that way again. Just repent. So I ask you this morning, where have you been stealing from God? What things in your life have you been crediting yourself with, crediting other people with that actually belong, praise belongs to God? What idols are on the throne of our hearts? Because let me tell you what, brothers and sisters, there's only room for one king, and that's Jesus Christ. Please join me in prayer. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Oh, thank you for your mercy. Lord God, I thank you that you are that God that just stands ready for us to repent, confess, and draw us back into you in close relationship. Thank you that you love us so much for we're really hard to love. Thank you, God, so much for the book of Hosea, this this prophecy that, though meant for the people of Israel a long time ago, you meant it for us here today as well. Because as a church, as your bride, we have been unfaithful in our hearts and how we've credited our praise the things that we have celebrated in our lives, how we have celebrated. I thank you, God, so much for what you're doing and how you're challenging our hearts. Grow us in you, Lord God. And and Lord, I pray that if there's people in this room that need to confess and repent today, Lord, I pray it would happen. I pray that they would just hit their knees during, during these songs and during this time, and they would turn to a brother or sister in Christ and say, I've been struggling with this for so long, and I want to be free. I want to see those, those things that hinder me from running the race that God calls me to run be stripped from me. I want to see the chains and the bondage that I've been carrying around broken. And it's possible because the Holy Spirit that indwells us, Lord God, and I pray, Holy Spirit, move right now in this place. You have told us that one in spirit indwells the body of Christ. I pray right now that this, your Holy Spirit, Father God, would move in this place to convict hearts and minds and that people would not be allowed to continue in things anymore. For there is hope and there is freedom. In Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. In your son's name we pray and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Before I just want to say something. This is a safe place to repent and confess. And I don't dog other churches, but I've been part of other churches that people were terrified to do that because they could be shown the door. We're not going to show you the door. We're going to enter into the messiness with you. We're going to come alongside you and we're going to love you. We'll hold the, we'll hold the tissues. We'll hold you up. We'll support you. We'll, love, we'll walk alongside you. Because we, we really mean it. We want to be family. We really want to walk alongside and see things, those strongholds just torn down. And I know this group of elders. I know them well. And I know that if you came to them and said, I just got something to confess, there wouldn't be smacking up backs at a head. Not the first time anyways. <clears throat> you know, there... But they would listen and they would love you. And they would put their arms around you and they would weep with you. But there's a scripture that we, we misuse. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. That's not about death or dying. It's about sin. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that mourn their sin, that repent of it, that turn from it. For they what? They shall be comforted. And that's what we need. We need the comfort of God. And these men will be here and we'll walk alongside and we'll come along and we'll comfort and by the word of God and we'll, so that victory can be had. So that we can leave it behind us. Because that's what the cross does. The cross says, 
sin. It's been done with. It's been dealt with. It's over. He gets up and he walks out of the grave and he says, there's a new life to live. Leave sin behind. Walk in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The redeemed life that he has for us. I'm going to pull a trade on you because I I got an email from uh, Jennifer Snyder. Norma, come on up. Norma, we're going to do our missionary minute this morning. Um, If you're visiting with us or if you don't know Norma, Norma is like a ray of sunshine. Um, Because Norma, uh, man, how long ago? I, I had just come to LSC, I think, seven years ago. And you came, and Jeffrey and Lizzie grabbed hold of Norma and her family, and Norma is, came to faith and has grown up in Christ and is now pursuing Christ in ministry um, at Eastern. We won't talk about Eastern, but you know, at Eastern, okay? And, uh, and God has just done an amazing work in her life, and so we've invited Norma to come back and share with her family what God's doing in her life and how we can help support So I'm supposed to ask me some questions. <laughs> so we want to know um, how God is working through Young Life at Eastern. Well, I'm a wildlife leader for the Cheney Middle School. Um, it's mostly like college kids from Eastern who are part of Young Life will go and volunteer and be leaders and help the middle school kids. Um, not really part of the Young Life college team because I felt like my calling was to be with middle school kids. Um, I do help around a bit with like some of the new kids who have never been a leader or like has never experienced Young Life, so I help Tyler stay a little bit with like we just talk and like talk about some of the students who want to be leaders and then we go through training. And then we have, um, right now we have some new potential leaders who want to be in my team. So I'm really excited about next year in the fall. So I feel like God's really working really well in that. I'm really excited. How's God working in your life through Young Life? Well, for the past two years, um, I've been, God's been really working with me about forgiveness for the past two years since I've been a wildlife leader. You see, like, most of you don't really know me, but some of you know my story. Growing up, my majority of my childhood, I was physically, um, physically, sexually, and emotionally abused by my father. And recently, last year, I went to California, and that's where all my family is, especially my father's side of the family. I was, God was telling me to forgive, to let go, and be at peace. And I went, and I saw my grandparents, my uncles, and my aunts I haven't seen in 10 years because I refused to see them or talk to them. Um, And then I was there for a whole month, so I got to spend time with them, and then I felt this calling that I should go and visit my father in jail. I went, and I saw him. It was really scary, but I felt safe. Um, And I saw him, and he, we talked for a bit, and he said that he became a Christian within a couple years ago and being, like, in jail, and um, to this point, like, I'm still working on forgiveness, and then I feel like I'm kind of getting there to forgive, but I just can't have that relationship with him, like a father-daughter, because my relationship is with the Lord, and that's the only thing I know. So right now, it's just I would just like some more prayers on like forgiveness and that part in my life right now. So besides prayer. Um, or what specifically can we be praying for, and how how else can we support you? Um, definitely a lot of prayer in the Cheney area because I only have like four girls, and I'm like there's two girl leaders and then one boy leader. But hopefully, with like the next fall, we get more leaders, and hopefully, we get to have more kids. And I'm also fundraising 
for, um, for me, like being a college kid is really hard, full-time student, and then trying to get a job, and it's kind of hard to pay bills for me. But I also want to have um, fundraising so I can take kids to camp, and then fundraising to like spend time with them so I can take them like to go eat pizza, or go like have a drink of Starbucks, or they really love McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> I was like, okay, there's no McDonald's near us here. Like, right in town, there's a McDonald's. And I'm like, are you guys sure? <laughs> like, I can go cook in my house. <laughs> Anything else that you want to share? Uh, I'm going to pray for Norma. <clears throat> Dear Lord, I just thank you for Norma. Thank you for her heart. Um, thank you for her willingness to serve, Lord. And just thank you for how you are using her. Um, Lord, help us to love Norma well. Um, Lord, help us to pray for her. Um, Lord, and we just lift up the ministry in Cheney. Um, Lord, pray uh, against any attacks. I pray for protection over this, um, this ministry, Lord. And I just thank you um, for what you're doing in Young Life here in Chelan but also uh, where Norma is, Lord. Um, I just pray for her um, as she just ministers to these girls, Lord, and that she just pours out her heart to them, Lord. Um, and I just thank you. Thank you for her willingness to do that. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Yes. Well, that's a wonderful, wonderful way to start God's stories. Yeah, I just want to open up for any other things. I, this message this morning, Hosea is a hard book to go through, and especially when you just, I mean, looking at what Israel went through in its rebellion and its serving false gods, and then when you bring it into your personal own life and your, our walk, and it's so easy to identify me as my, myself as a good Christian, but am I truly as good a Christian as I want those words to mean when I say them? And how many idols have I put up in front of God when I think I'm doing what's right before him, yet I'm holding back or holding on to something instead of giving it to him? So is there anyone... I have one. Hello again. Today I have a wonderful God story. I have my family sitting over there. First, I want to apologize to them for the terrible time I gave them when Bill passed away. I felt like my world had stopped. I took it out on them. They were only trying to help me. A lot of you know what I was going through then. You helped me get through that without killing my kids. So that was wonderful. But I want to thank Tammy and Jeff and Alex and B for the way they stood by me, my daughter and son-in-law especially. They never gave up. They knew where I needed to be, where God wanted me. And it's a wonderful thing. So today I want to tell you kids how much I love you, how sorry I am that I caused you all the hurt. And for my church family here, thank you. You went through all this with us. Yesterday I had three families. I had my family, my church family, and my family from Heritage Heights. So God has blessed me so much. And I just want to say again how much I love you. Yeah. Any other? Uh, this past Thursday, uh, my mother-in-law was in a major accident. She was driving up Boyd Road, and a big oversized truck was coming down and coming around a corner and basically uh, sliced her car in half and tore off basically the roof. And she walked away or checked in. Everything was pretty well a little black and blue, but she uh, miraculously was uh, protected by God. So she's a uh, big part of the family, and we are very thankful for every day that God gives us, and just a reminder of that. Praise God. 
Curtis. Good morning, everybody. So for those of y'all that don't know, I think everybody does know, Colleen and I spent 15 years in Hawaii. Uh, one of the things that we really looked forward to leaving, and as Pastor Scott was preaching, was the idolatry. They got a, they got a God for everything over there. And every time there was a new building being built, some person would come in. They called them kahu. Um, they'd come in, they'd do some kind of a, Hawaiian blessing, and I would always pray in the name of Jesus for the truth, of course, and wouldn't be involved in a lot of those, but she and I got really, really, that, that you could feel that pressure of the, the darkness around those islands. It's, it's been there for a lot of time. So there's a new hotel in Wenatchee, and I'm, God's blessed me to be the chief engineer there, and uh, a week and a half ago, the Gideon showed up, invited by our hotel, and they put a Bible in every single one of those guest rooms. And uh, that would never happen in Hawaii. It would never, ever happen in Hawaii. And, and, and they did a blessing in the lobby. And I was really blessed to be a part of that. And they said a prayer in the name of Jesus over that whole building. And I was, it's a stark contrast. So for that, I'm glad to be in eastern Washington. And I just hope that does spread around the, the rest of the country. But it's a, I wanted to share that as a God story because for me, it was good to have that foundation in this new building that we're starting out with. So, Thank you, Curtis. Hi, church family. Oh, gosh. Um, there have just been so many things that have happened this week, and um, I'm going to try and communicate some of them without talking for two hours because uh, just God is is moving through our church and it, it's really exciting but um, I mean it's some of it is just I don't even have words for um, so most of you know I've been a young life leader for you know a while now and we always have kids at our house and probably one of the greatest things this week is me and my daughter, Kaylee, um, were able to share the gospel in detail with a kid that's been hanging out at our house for a long time, off and on. And it was just, I don't want to go into too much detail about it because I, I um, but this, this kid is on the edge of, just on the fence of, run into Jesus' arms, and so I hope that happens. Um, just keep praying for him. I mean, it could happen in 10 years. It could happen, I don't know, but it was a beautiful conversation. Um, I had beautiful conversations with the ladies in my life group. Um, so I, too, grew up with, you know, a lot of abuse as a child, and my life, um, I grew up just running from God. And this week, so I've been divorced, I think it's been 13 years, I figured. Um, and God really reminded me this week of how much of the ashes in my life that I caused from running, that he turned to beauty. And it was a beautiful thing. I even sent an email to Scott about it, because, um, which I don't normally do, but I just had to share that. and. God, God is working, you guys. He is working through our church family, and um, Jesus is so beautiful. I can't, I can't even, I don't have words for the things that he's doing, but he's He's doing things through our community, through each of us, through Norma, oh my goodness, uh, through everybody. So, so don't give up hope, okay? <laughs> Anyone else?
Well, it is Bloomsday in Spokane, for those who don't know. And the God story is kind of about two years ago, Bloomsday. Our church in Spokane always canceled service in the morning and had it in the evening instead. Otherwise, nobody would show up. And two years ago, a man named Jerry from our church was participating in Bloomsday. And he's just a little bit younger than my dad. And he did it every year. Not that he was super fit, but that was just one of the things he did. And that year, he dropped during the race, cardiac arrest, and just hit the, hit the race course. But it was, like we say, it was not Jerry's day to die. God wasn't calling him home yet. So right behind him was a group of people who all worked at Sacred Heart at the cardiac intensive care unit, conveniently. <laughs> and so they were on him immediately, and they got him life-flighted down to the hospital. And they, without that surrounding him, he definitely would, I mean, it's very possible that he wouldn't have survived, but now he lives in Montana and he's near his grandchildren and he can continue to share Jesus. And we're just so thankful that God surrounded him like that and helped him survive. just say one more thing um this week I was just it's it's really hard being a single parent running around doing all this stuff sometimes and I was at, at Safeway one night and just like <sighs> grumpy and tired and stressed out and <sighs> I was trying to be kind I probably wasn't to people so I confess to that because I was probably rude to some people because Safeway changed everything in their store and I couldn't find anything and I was in a hurry and I kind of said something to the checker. I was, anyway, I went out to my car and there was this note on my car from this beautiful lady here and I'm probably going to embarrass her. So, I don't, so anyway, the people in this church, I can't even say enough about how how wonderful you guys all are but anyway okay bye well my god story happened this morning uh just want to say thank you to the lord for bringing us a man who constantly reminds us that Every day is about God's plan of redemption. And he uses our pastor, but he uses us wherever we are, whatever we're doing, to show Jesus to this world for his glory. 